The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network presents No Neutrality, where we have a roundtable of contributors pushing the antithesis in every area of life. From family to government, apologetics to homeschooling, being a wife and a mother, a husband, a father, single, widow, business owner or employee, you will hear commentary, essays, lectures, blogs and battle plans on how to bring forth the Christian worldview to all of life. As the mayor of the city decided that he had the right to do that in his own city. So at the time we were like, okay, we get what I do, and I was looking for somebody to do with my limited set of skills. I'm professionally a computer animator in the video games industry. That's what I do for money. Um, but I had a passion to do something, something for the kingdom of God that wasn't necessarily that. And so I started to think, what is that? And I found it was film, um, particularly documentary films. And documentary films, thankfully, are the low-hanging fruit in filmmaking. <laughs> filmmaking is incredibly hard and incredibly expensive. And uh, documentaries aren't so hard and aren't so expensive. So they're accessible for ordinary people like me. And we can and have, I think, to a large extent, been able to do them as well as the world can do them. And you can't really say that in the other cinema, the broader cinematic sphere where Christians struggle. And if they get the technical stuff right, they don't get the writing right, they, they get, you know, it's really difficult for Christians to make good films. But we think we did make a good film. Uh, the first one we made was Shaky Town about San Francisco homosexual politics. Uh, and, that, and, you know, in retrospect, now it is history. And that's a really cool thing about documentary films. As you say something, you put it down on tape, it becomes a part of history. And so our little film, Shaky Town, is about what was happening in 2003, before where we are now, with all that's happened across the whole nation now. Our story takes on that different flavor of this resistance by this small group of people in San Francisco as they resist the homosexual movement. And they had been resisting for years the homosexual movement. But let's go on to the fun stuff, the public school system. Uh, I think my talk, what was my talk entitled, Jason? I tell me, um, something like why I hate the public school system, why you should too. Now, important to say here that that's not we should hate public schoolers, right? We don't hate public school teachers, we really don't. In fact, the funny thing is, I know a bunch of public school teachers, and the, the first thing they say after watching this movie is they come up to me, they say, Colin, your film's totally correct. In fact, it's much worse than you said in your film. That's what we hear so often public school teachers because they're witnesses to the fact you know public school teachers homeschool at a higher rate than the rest of the population in America. Mm. Why is that? Because they're in, they know, right? They know the truth. Now, uh, um, uh, earlier we mentioned self-deception. That was sort of one of the things that I wanted to mention too. Uh, Martin mentioned uh, Banson's um, thesis on self-deception. It's a really important idea. Because it really is, why do people use the public schools? Um, given what we know about them to be true, and given what I have shown people to be true in this film, we'll go into the details in a minute, um, but the reality is that why do people still use the public schools? There's a bunch of excuses, and we can go, we'll go into those a little bit as well. I'm sure you've heard those, and we'll, we'll detail some of those. But the reality is, is that they are deceiving themselves, or they have been deceived too. So when you're doing a documentary film, you're able to present truth 
but you're able to present it in a really effective way. One of the best things about a documentary film is you can pass it to someone. You can say, you give them a book. Now, the, the, more, the definitive book on this issue is a book by Rush Dooney, which is the messianic character of American education. Mm-hmm. Big, long title. Not a lot of people are going to easily read it. It's a great book, though. And what we do, I mean, again, I don't have the intellectual guests, but I have other guests. So I have not had a, a original thought in my brain. Everything I have done has been stolen. Some of you will recognize it when you watch my films because our film indoctrination is thoroughly a reconstructionist film. It's a reconstructionist film in who we interviewed, who we honored, who we followed intellectually, and how we put the film together. You know, one of the interesting things is how people make documentaries. People make documentaries with this subjective tone. You know, Michael Moore, you all seen Michael Moore. I like Michael Moore. He's a really good filmmaker. He's a propagandist for the other side. So it's very interesting to watch Michael Moore make movies. Um, but he has he does what I don't do, which is completely lie. I don't lie. I shouldn't lie. He just lies. And what's his biggest lie? Well, all the guns, all the gun stuff, all that nonsense, a bunch of lies. But his biggest lie is he's neutral, right? So Michael Moore starts to say, like, I don't know what to think. I'm going to interview these people. Oh, then I'm going to go over and interview these pro-gun people with complete prejudice and make them look like idiots, you know. And, and then I'll just come up with the obvious answer from all this detailed research, you know. And, of course, that's not what he's doing. Now, this film is presuppositionally Christian. It's important to say. When we went and made this film... We're not just randomly exploring the tr- subjective truth and we're just trying to find what, in a postmodern way, find out some structure. We're trying to, we, we know the truth, we know the truth is the word of God and that's the beginning of this. And we're trying to apply it. Now there's details within that as we apply the word of God, so there's still research to be done. We take the word of God and go, let's go look at the public school system in the light of God, God's word. Then that's the work that needs to be done. And that is self-consciously presuppositional. In our tactic. Um, the other good thing about the so documentary, you hand it to someone, give someone someone the messianic character of American education, good luck getting them to read it, right? Especially if they're not on your side. It's, that's a great book for people like us. It's an essential book for people like us. But I'm talking about an average person, you know, that we, we love them, we want to have sympathy towards them. That's the other aspect of this. It's kind of ties into some of the stuff we're talking about. With, our, with empathy and sympathy that's really important and maybe reconstructions haven't been as good on that front as we go and reach out to people and say, you know, what do we do? How do we present this truth? And we're not saying we manipulate them. We're not saying we hide the truth. We're going to say hard things. But we're going to say it in a way that they can easily understand it. And they won't easily understand the context of some of the books and some of the articles and some of the stuff that we could easily understand. But media, they can. And why is media effective? And there's a biblical reason why I think media is very effective. And it should be because of a biblical rule of two or three witnesses. When we present a case, if we're making an argument, well, I can just state something, Michael Moore style, I can just work something out and say that it's true. But biblically speaking, there's a purpose in presenting an argument, a case, as we go, say we go before a jury. We have to present these witnesses that bring this argument. Of course, that's just not a, a simple t- statement of information. It's actually an emotional and true thing. So when you see someone come in, and that's what we do with this film, is bringing witnesses is a really powerful aspect of telling mm-hmm. the truth. And that's what documentaries do really well. We can go and get, in the case of this film, 30 people together. And, and so you sit down in front of your TV to watch this movie. You're having 30 witnesses coming 
into your house and testifying to the truthfulness of the case that we're making. That's really hard for you or me to do that with a book that you give someone which they probably wouldn't read. Or even in your elevator pitch for, for getting your kids out of the public schools, it's really hard to do. Documentaries can do it and people will watch this. You know, they have watched this. Um, there's two types of witnesses. There's the expert witness and they're the people we go to who are, uh, just know their case. In fact, the really cool thing is to give honour to uh, our uh, good friend Rush Dooney. I mean, Rush Dooney has had a huge influence on many people here. I never met him. I'm sad that I never met him. Um, but in a sense, we felt that indoctrination is one way to honour him. He came to Texas. And this, is, this is a sort of discussion. I have a discussion online about who is the greatest, you know. That's not a good discussion. <laughs> um, but I, and I didn't say, oh, Rush is the greatest, right? But I did say, you know, we have to start thinking of who has had real genuine impact because people were less than all these theologians. And a lot of them were big in the academy, big names in the academy, but completely unrecognizable for the average person. There are Dooney, um, maybe somewhere of that, known very much in our little sphere and not so much out with it. But he really did have an impact on our lives. For example, you don't know this, he came to Texas to defend the rights of homeschoolers. So people in this room can do what we need to be doing as free Christians because of R.J. Rushduni's work. Mm. But he writes this great book back in the 1960s and 1963, this messianic character, exposing the public school system, but he didn't leave it there. That's where your average academic would just write endless papers, uh, you know, solidify his, his position in academia, and that would be it. Well, no rush was a practical guy, and that's why I look towards these guys, because they're really doing things. And that's what I like about Reconstructionists. You know, when uh, Jason came to town, it was like 30 seconds, and we, you know, it's like, let's go to the mail, <laughs> let's do this. And it's, there's, that's actually kind of rare in church circles, where you can't get anything done. And especially in Reformed and Presbyterian circles, it's all about intellectual capabilities, and the worship is towards the academy right now, instead of towards people that are actively, mm -hmm. not should worship people, but actively towards those people who have done great things. Mm -hmm. So Rajduni gave me the right to homeschool. I'm grateful for that. He brought this, by God's grace, defended our rights in a Texas court. I'm going to read a little bit of it, and he was asked these questions. You can get this on, online. It's Leaper, Leaper versus Arlington. Um, and he's, he's asked, and the, really, the interesting thing here is history matters. So we, in indoctrination, so we're thinking of the average guy, how important is the historical argument to them? Personally, I would say not a lot, but we want it in there anyway. So we did, and we had a 13-minute section, one of the longest sections, the 13-minute section where we kind of go through the history of the public school system. Um, in the core system, of course, and in politics, history is much more paramount than in the just person-to-person we are more about emotional leverage of stories that explain something that people can understand and empathize with so we can relate to it and maybe change our opinions that way. The historical argument's important, especially in the context here, and this is what he says. So the lawyer's asking him, what form of private education existed in the 1800s? And this is what Rush said. In the 1800s, of course, the homeschool was still commonplace. In some of the eastern cities among the wealthy, you had tutors. You had great many Christian day schools operating operated by Protestant churches. These functioned especially in some of the eastern seaboard cities to educate immigrant children. This was an extensive mission maintained by some churches. Then you had parochial schools maintained by the Catholic Church and by some Protestant churches. 
these were the main forms. Really important argument he's presenting here because he's been brought in because the Texas Board of Education wants to eradicate homeschooling for the, what they're arguing is the only legitimate and historical form of education, that is the American public school system. What a lie, right? So Rush comes in and exposes them and, and saves the day. I hate him, right? Amen. Good stuff. So um, we have the historical argument, you know, as important. I think it's important uh, to point back to where the public school system came from, um, that it wasn't always there. Most people don't know that. Most people just don't think that it's they just the average American Christian conservative just looks at the world and think that is the way it has been and will be forever. And the reality is it's really important. And Rush goes into that in his book, and we go into it in his film. We talk about the Unitarians. What's wrong with Unitarians? Well, Unitarians don't believe Christ is God. They don't give honor to him. And so they, they establish the whole Christian idea, and they seek salvation in a messianic state. What that means is, generally speaking, they were utopians. You're bringing uh, heaven on earth, but how? By following God's law? No, by absolutely uh, leveraging the power of man and intellectual capacity. And, and that was their goal. In fact, in the film we outline a guy called Robert Owen, and I always like to have a Scottish tie-in. Did you know I'm from Scotland? <laughs> sometimes it's hard, because I know you all have accents, so sometimes it's hard for you to understand me. But I am from Scotland, and, I, uh, and it's the second greatest country in the world after the Republic of Texas. And uh, we go that we go back there, and we uh, Robert Owen. You know, I used to go when I was a little guy, and I was in the public schools. I was safe from public schools. And my parents sent me to the private schools eventually, which saved my life. Private Christian school. Uh, when I was a little kid, I was in the public schools, and we'd always go to New Lanark. And New Lanark's a beautiful place. You go to it, it's all cobblestone streets and stone tenements, and it's got a big mill with a water wheel. It's like completely idyllic, and it's on the falls of Clyde. See the salmon coming down the falls. They jump up the waterfalls and falls of Clyde. It's just, it's like completely idyllic Scottish world. It's called New Harmony, uh, not New Harmony, it's, it's New Lanark. New, New Harmony is the American version. Because he was a utopianist. It's a really idyllic place, and as a little kid, I was taken there, and we're told how great, what a great philanthropist Robert Owen was, how brilliant he was, looking after all these little kids that worked in the mill. The little kids worked in the mill. And they're all getting mangled in the machines and horrible things happen to people during the Industrial Revolution. And his solution, because they needed the solution, you know, it's one of those things where the, the left are recognize the problem. They have this story. The left recognize the problem. They don't have the solutions that Christians need to correct their bad solutions. Of course, his solution is this utopian little world and uh, New Harmony, uh, sorry, New Ladder. It's not new by our standards, but it's new compared to Old Ladder. <laughs> Which is right next to it, Old Lanark. We don't call it Old Lanark, we call it Lanark. Uh, and that's where Owen um, Wallace was born there, and it's really, really old historic time, you know. Um, so New Lanark is right next to it, and that was when you get past the uh, you know, tour guide understanding of this place, you realize the scariness of the utopian vision which he had. And a big part of that utopian vision. Number one, uh, uh, which is true for Marx, and, and he's pro-Marx. It's true for Marx. It's true for Robert Owen. What's the first thing you got to do to make culture go in the direction that you want it to, to do? The answer is get the kids exactly. And he said very clearly, you need to get them when they're two and three years old. You get, get these kids away from who? The parents. Why do they get, get them from the parents? 
because they were a Christian, because they understood to some extent, not perfectly, but they were, had coming out of this covenanter background, this covenanter country that followed Knox, followed the law of God, in many details of life, lived a Christian life. He knew the biggest problem, the biggest stumbling block to them bringing their utopian vision out in our culture was the, the kids being under the influence of their parents. So you see, that's the con game. And it's exactly the same con game we've got right now in America. It's for the children. But they're doing it to it's subterfuge. That's why the 10th plan, the plan for the Communist Manifesto, which most Republicans and Americans support, this idea is, the, is free public state education for everybody. Because it gets away. They believe that children were... Go, were they had some visions. I mean, it's uh, G. Stanley Hall. I mean, the evolution came. You know, idea of evolution came along. So G. Stanley Hall had these crazy ideas, and so, you know, the conservatives are always complaining about, oh, we shouldn't teach evolution in public schools. The public school philosophy of education is entire evolutionistic. You can't just take out that one aspect. The teaching of evolution is fact, and the, and the, from the science books, it's the whole. We look back at the history of how the public schools were established. It was established with these evolutionary premises. One of those evolutionary premises and fundamental like, humanistic premise is that children are born pure and are corrupted by bad things in society, which includes their Christian, Christian doctrine that they might learn from their history or from their family or from their lives. And so getting those kids away was critical to make that happen. And of course, Dewey came along and doubled down and all that crazy stuff to help establish a system where we're at. Now, we, uh, in, in the film, I don't know if you know, we drove around, if you, I don't know if you've all seen the film. I brought, uh, I think I've got like 10 copies or so. If you haven't seen it, uh, take a copy first and then whoever wants can take the rest of the copies. Um, we drove around a big yellow bus. Now, the fun thing about that, well, it's not fun to drive those big yellow buses. It's pretty terrible things, but, um, it's important, and this is the artistic mind, which you can all roll your eyes about this, but um, when we make a film, we're looking for something that's special, and we're looking for something as an immigrant coming into America was one of the first things, you know, one of, one of the first things I noticed, and Bodger uh, Darren, if you noticed this, but the big yellow bus, we don't have them in Scotland, which are random buses, different colors, all the rest of it. But it's such an identifier of national statism. You know, it's like you go to I don't know, North Korea or somewhere and they're all wearing the same jumpsuit. It screams of, oh, someone's made a decision and everyone has to follow it. And that is very true. So we thought this yellow bus became the emblem of what we were going to do. And so we decided to jump in the bus. And then we use a metaphor of the bus. Sometimes it's a bit forced, but it really did break down. Uh, so what's kind of natural too, we have this big yellow bus that is going along. And we have to make that decision of what we do with the bus. And if you know the film, if you've seen the film, spoiler alert, um, the bad guy gets it in the end. As in all good films, we decide and make it very clear that the bad guy is the school bus, not the bus, but as an emblem of the public school system. That the, the bus has to be destroyed because the bus, and this is the hate part of my hate speech, is the... The school is a very clear idol of our culture. Mm. It's a very dangerous thing. It's something we need to be warning people against. And we need to be bold and get people out. And people aren't going to like it. So we're, we're, so there's some carefulness in how we, we talk about this issue. But we also have to know that we're doing people. We're blessing people. Uh, and you don't know who's blessed. You know, it's like you have these random arguments on Facebook. You don't know the impact. Because the person 
that is debating you isn't the one that's going to be changed. It's someone else that's watching, someone else that's listening. And we, we hear these stories all the time. Just like some of you at the mill, you go to the abortion mill and you hear those wonderful stories of, of people being rescued, people being alive because you know, God called you to go to the abortion mill. Well, we're getting stories of that. Of, we saw your film and you know, it was the thing that sort of made us really take it seriously. And our film doesn't take people from way over here to way over here. It takes people that are usually in the middle, but they need that story. They need to look into the eyes of people that are talking about that issue because there's not many people in their lives that are doing that. But what happens with a movie is they can look into the eyes of Sarah Laverdier, who's in her film. She's a young woman. She's the picture-perfect public school teacher. You know, the one... Because that's one of the one of the deceptive arguments of the public school Christian. The Christian who uses the public schools, right? The first argument is our... Schools are different. I mean, I still say that. I hear that in Texas. Our, our schools, we're not like the inner city schools. We're, our schools are, oh, much better. And the truth is, is that and that was one of the great things of taking that story of Sarah Laverde. She was the perfect teacher. She's young, she's kind, sweet nature, and she's able to tell the reality of what is going on in the public school system. And you look into her eyes and you hear that. That's what really... Uh, important aspect of the emotional leverage of her film. So she's acting as a whistleblower in a real sense. So the whistleblower aspect of those teachers that are coming out telling the truth. Um, John Taylor Gatto, uh, Samuel Blumenfeld, these guys. Samuel Blumenfeld is a legend. And um, one of the other great things about we never got to interview Rush, but we got to interview Samuel Blumenfeld. And this is him. He ran with this. He wrote for the, the New American. Uh, for a long time, get all his articles there. But it's a bunch of great books that you can get, and you can follow, uh, catch up on your Samuel Blumenfeld because he really was the other guy. So we got to put him in our film, which is a great honor for me. Partly because he's a oh, we've got some Samuel Blumenfeld in there, Faith for All of Life. Yes, they wrote for wrote Carcine, uh, of course. Uh, he's on some uh, tapes you can hear. We had him talking to Rush. It's fantastic, and he he was great, real sweet little guy. Uh, but just man, he just hammers the public schools. He just just destroys them because he's going at it from the right angle. It gives you the, all the history of these humanists, all these uh, the bad stories. So Sarah Lardy is the expert eyewitness. So Simon Blumenfeld, we've got Howard Phelps in there. Uh, we even had you know people from a contemporary uh, evangelical scene, um, and I'm, that's not really my world. But it's important. You know, one of my criticisms of my friends when they make documentaries is don't, you know, you're a you know, white middle class Protestant, don't go interview twenty other white middle class Protestants, you know, you're, you make a film where it's just people like you, right? And it doesn't make the case, it's just like the jury trial. You kinda wanna bring in people that are, are diverse and, and you know, that jury, you don't know what they are. They're not all like you. They're not all intellectuals, they're not all reading you know, Rush Dooney, you gotta think about that jury, that average verb, you just don't know who they are. So you gotta vary the stories. That's the other side of what we do, is we're able to, we, and if you see our films, we change subject every five minutes, just about, and it's, you know, to do with the American attention span, <laughs> not an insult you guys. Um, but people don't have a large attention span, but the other reason is we wanna move on to the next argument, because hey, that might not work, Here's another story you need to follow. Okay, so that's sort of what we're trying to do there. Um, 
So the key for them is, so self-deception is a huge part of what we're facing. Um, the other side is actual deception. <laughs> the public schools are a bunch of liars. You know, with the public school system, um, they'll tell you all their sports wins, but they won't tell you all the sexual assaults in the bathrooms. They won't tell, we've had people coming up to us, and you know what was funny, we were making the movie, we were making the movie, we were like, right, we're gonna destroy the bus at the end, and that was my idea. And everyone's like, I don't know about that, because that sounds like violent, right? And I'm like, yeah, it's symbolic violence, you know, it's like, a, like an idol, and we're gonna destroy it, it's great. But they were like, I don't know, they'll think we wanna blow up buses and stuff like that. And I'm like, no, I don't think so, I don't think so. Um, but we did it, you know, eventually, I won the argument. Um, and we did it, and it's been amazing, the effect of that. And some people have watched it, and one woman came up to me, crying after an event, saying, I uh, love the bus scene being destroyed. And I loved it because I was attacked on a bus. Bad things happened to me on a bus. And when I saw that bus being destroyed, it was the best thing in the world for me to see that thing, because when I see those yellow buses, that's what I'm thinking of. That's a story that a lot of people experience in reality, the public school system. Is, when we talk about these things, a lot of people know we're telling the truth, although they have a commitment to it because it's the path of least resistance, right? The economic path of least resistance. Why are people public schooling their kids? Because that's what everyone does, right? And it's the easiest thing to do. So we're coming along and saying, you know, change your lifestyle. A lot of them actually get it. So we've been cast as the mean guys, you know? And, you know, when I say, don't send your kids to public schools, I, sometimes in the church, they'll probably say to me, you know, they'll say to me, I'm binding people's consciences. That's the first time, binding people's consciences. Which, you can bind people's consciences, but in a real with with things that aren't true, you can make up a bunch of rules. We know what they are, there's plenty of them. But in a sense, they have to give me some time to make the case. And I think if you make the case why public schools are bad and wrong, and there's many reasons, you know, and there's different reasons for different people. It just takes a bit of time to get to the core of why people are using the public schools. Because like I said, some people, it's just they haven't even thought about it. So I'm sympathetic to those people. We'll get people that, you know, my husband says, I, I have to public school my kids. And, you know, you're kind of like, well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> to pray your husband to his heart. And they'll weep because they've seen our film because they'll know the bad things. At some point, they just got to mitigate the harm. But... In a real sense, that's not the normal case. The normal case is that we are unthinking Americans and Scottish people who are not are rejected the law of God. It's not our priority. The key aspect of what we want to uh, think about is, and this is where Rush Dooney came into his own. And um, you know, Rush Dooney applied the philosophy of Van Til. Van Til was a theologian uh, that emphasized the idea of presuppositionalism. It's really important idea, um, and you know, if you want to, you know, follow up in that, I can give you some uh, places to go read up on presuppositionalism. Um, but the main idea of presuppositionalism is the impossibility of neutrality, and that's our key objection to the public school system. So the starting point is we go look at the public school system, and one of the biggest lies of the public school system is we're neutral. We are just providing people the information they need so they can live a happy and successful life. We, don't know, we know that is not true. And uh, let me explain it a little bit with some um, quotes from Rush Dooney here. And this is our book, actually. Um, we made the film, but we also made a book about it. And I've also, again, as a failed or non-intellectual, managed to get a book with my name on it. <laughs> I should have never had that, but I wrote the intro, basically. So 
Um, but we've got a bunch of great guys right, right in, the, uh, in this. And uh, Rashtuni's at the back here. It says, um, For as Christians, however, all factuality is God-created, and hence the meaning of all things, including man, can only be understood in terms of the triune God and his work. All things come from the hand of God, and we do not grasp the meaning of anything if we deny its creator. The facts are never neutral, because they are God-created. Those who asked us to be broad-minded and approach the world in all factuality with an open and neutral mind are really asking us to presuppose a world which is the product of chance, not God. Mm. They are asking us to overlook the most critical factor of all, God the Creator, and to presuppose that facts are a product of chance. So you see the lie here? So the public school, the premise of public schools is this myth of neutrality. That's why they're built. And Christians are following this, this lie. They're putting little Johnny, this is the saddest thing, taking a little kid, these tiny little guys, girls too. They put them on this school bus, and that's a coming into that. They're going, we were with our family for five years, and now you're on this bus, and you go over here, and you're going to get this education. And the myth is that that is not going to impact what goes on here. And, you know, smash cut to 12 years later, what, what's happening? The kids are coming home, and I'm going, you know, parents, you know, this is the, the other story we hear, isn't that? That your parents, you've been lying to me. You've been lying to me over homosexual, homosexuals or, or gender, you know? The other big lie in the public school system, all these things, they're there to undermine the family. So there's, this is very important, this act of taking your kids and giving them to this public school system for them to train their minds. John Taylor Garrow said it great in our film when we put it in the trailer. It is a mad idea. That's how he put it. And it is. It's madness to mm. take the most, your most precious treasure, yes. your children, Amen. and take everything from me. Take everything from me. The hardest thing would be taking my kids, you know? And that's the truth, is the government has successfully taken the kids away from, from so many Christian parents, and the Christian parents didn't know, and no one warned them, you know? So that's why we're here. That's why I want you guys to be um, the propagandists, to be the activists, to be the agitators. Just let you go to, some of you go to the abortion clinic. Fantastic. Think about what's going on in our culture. Uh, how much time do I have left? Are we getting close to dinner, lunchtime? We're past, but it's okay. It's not your fault. Not my fault. No. But give me a time. Yeah, do what you gotta do. A few more, okay. Yeah. A few more minutes. I don't wanna I don't wanna drag this out too much. Um, public schools are dangerous places. Let me read uh, let me just go through a couple of points of why uh, I think public schools are, are dangerous. Um, of course one of the key premises when we talk about it, uh, we've used this verse a lot, is unless the Lord builds a house, they labor in vain to build it. One of our big fights in the conservative Christian world is that people want to fix what they think is broken. The reality of what we know about the public schools is that it is not broken. It is actually extremely effective. The public schools are not broken. They are most ex- one of the most successful institutions in culture, along with the IRS, which is very successful at stealing all your money, right? <laughs> They're Man. very good at it, right? Yep. Call the police and they take ages to show up. They're, they're, you know, that's where they slack. They're really good when they want your money and that's when their, their diligence shows, right? Um, so that's, uh, when we're looking at the public school system, we have to understand this is not a house that the Lord built. Us going in and tweaking it, 
and conservatives are great at this. We had a day walkout, you know, over um, over gender, whatever it was, or maybe guns. I don't know. We had that on the other mm-hmm. side. But you get the, you get our crowd that want to be activists, and I and God bless them, great. I'm so glad. But they need to hear the message. The amazing thing is that our film, the biggest form of resistance, is from uh, many conservatives and many Christians in in our sphere. You know, we would we would go. The most common story we would hear when we were talking about um, when we were showing the film. So we we let people show the film for free, no license. I don't believe in that. I didn't want the FBI warning. I rebuke Christians for putting FBI warnings on the, on the front of their DVDs. It's <laughs> unbiblical to send people to yeah. find people two hundred fifty thousand dollars for stealing your stupid videos. Um, <laughs> uh, so we got it. What was I talking about? All right. So um, IRS. No, it was after all. Um, who opposed it? All right, who opposed it? Opposing, or I think the most interesting thing, the story was we would we would we would get people to say, all right, go show it. Some people would say, oh, if you got a license, you know, forget that, just show it. And they would come back a week later, and we heard it like twenty times. Uh, I wanted to show it in my church. And guess what happened? Guess what happened? Didn't make it by the pastors, did they? make it past the pastors, so there's a... Right, exactly, so you have... It's too controversial. It's too controversial, right? Now, honestly, we've made this out of concern and love for the Christian community. We're not there to split churches, and we do have to be careful how we deal with this, because we have friends at public school, or many friends that are and were public school teachers, and we've got to be... Yeah, <laughs> some here. There's one over there. My good friend Warren. Uh, there's there's a, a way that we have to approach where we understand these people are, are not our enemy explicitly themselves. They're the public school system. There's a lot of confusion and a lot of lies. A lot of people deceive, but it doesn't diminish the necessity that people hear this whole story. But the problem is being repeatedly as they go into the churches and the stumbling block has been uh, church leadership. So we've, we've, that's one thing we really need to go over is that the church needs to take this issue serious and stop, seriously and stop saying the people that need are biting consciences and causing havoc and trying to split out the church. We, we're not. We're trying to give information that people in the pew need to hear. And we're doing it all the time. We're doing it casually in friendly uh, scenarios. I usually have stronger words for stronger men, right? So when I'm talking to the, the mom who doesn't really know what she's doing and she thinks the skills are good and I know they're not, then yeah, there's a kinder tone for the guys in the pulpit. Not so much the, the kinder tone. They need, to, they need to be rebuked frequently for the support of the status system. Amen. Not oh. just that it's this ungodly system. But it's funded in a Marxist way by theft of all of our wealth. They take all of our dollars that are ad- allocated for el- education and throw them in this Marxist hopper and redistribute it. One of our biggest, e- I'll say, enemies in the our world right now is the school choice movement. Right, the school choice movement has come along, and their solution is that they are going to be just as Marxist as the public schools, but they're going to redistribute it better. They're, they're going to fix it because they know how to redistribute wealth better than these other Marxists mm-hmm. over here. That's your high level of conservatism in Texas. It's yeah. a school choice movement. We have pastors in my church, OPC Church, who are campaigning publicly with their banners for the school choice movement. My enemies, my friends acting with my enemies because they haven't 
uh, engaged with the importance of this idea. They've not followed Rush Dooney's lessons on the public school system. What are they doing? What are you doing to your people in your church when you don't engage them on this issue? You personally, as a pastor and elder, are endangering those children. Yes. Amen. You're sending those kids into that sphere where they're being manipulated, brainwashed, lied to, sexually assaulted by their peers and their teachers. Not all of them, but it happens more frequently than we want to talk about. We went, when we looked into this, it happens so frequently. It's one in ten is a victim of sexual misconduct. And that's not everyone's sexual assault. That's words that are inappropriate and things like that. But one in ten, the children in the public school system, it's not just teachers, there's administrators and janitors and all the rest of it, and police officers and all the rest of it. Um, when people run out of these schools, I'm pro forensic. I say that to my, I have a friend across the road from me, and she, she's a justice of the peace, and she's really, she, she, she's really sweet. And she stood against homosexual marriage, I'm really kind of proud of her for doing that. She doesn't do homosexual weddings in Waco. Not that we have a lot, but she doesn't do them. Um, and she, uh, she was talking about truancy, and I was just like, I'm pro truancy. These people are, are running out of that place like they should. It's a good thing. Because some people, these young men recognize that this is not a place for them. Now, we know what the place for them is. It's a place in Christian culture where we put them to work, where we stimulate them on the things that are important, not all the nonsense that they have to learn to get past the grades to get in at some uh, academy, you know? So as you as a pastor, elder, or teacher, and us in our lives, when you uh, approach this subject with people, you're saving lives. You know, these kids are in danger. These young men are being drugged so that they're passive. Young men don't want to be there. I've been given drugs. Little kids. I mean, it's interesting. These little things come along. And so we'll say these things and go, oh, calm your jerk. Shut up. And that's fine. But then something will happen. So it's, it's kind of good to have seen this where when people say, oh, we watched your film. But we didn't, I didn't listen. But then they diagnosed my child with ADHD. You know, and th or then this happened to my daughter. And that's when it just comes out of focus. And those people realize that a lot of what we're saying is true. So we have to be uh, faithful in our work of trying to um, maintain this witness uh, despite the ecclesiastical opposition. Um, THSC, unfortunately, you know, spent all of its energy, Texas Homeschool Coalition, Good drip in a lot of ways in these lawyers that defend rights of homeschoolers, them, but they were the ones that spent uh, the best part of the last few years campaigning so that Christian homeschoolers can get access to the most idolatrous part of the public school system, which is what? Sports. Sports. <laughs> right? so, and I know I'm, I'm not from around here, so I know it's very important to a lot of you Texans. But you realize that is the, they're going the opposite direction of what they were, where uh, you know, Rush was when he came and defended the labor trial. They have this opposition. Um, Texas Poly, uh, Policy Foundation, I think they're called, uh, of uh, Austin. They're usually really good on certain things, uh, on liberty and tax and property tax values, things like that. They're pushing school choice as well. Um, the other thing we need to watch is some of the apathy in the homeschool world. And the homeschool world is not. Uh, needs correction in, in its philosophy. Mm -hmm. They can be a status, they can be as ungodly. The secularization, of course, uh, coming into the homeschool movement, and of course, we welcome people to take that jump with us out of the public school system. 
where God has understand that, and this is this is important for me to say because I'm Mr. Anti uh, Public Skills. I'm just as anti inconsistent, unchristian, unbiblical homeschoolers. That that is just as bad. Yeah, you're protecting them, and that is true. You know, your kids better off getting nothing than going to the public schools because of the protection they get. But on the other hand, we still got to do our work for the, as the yes. kingdom. I think that's what, if we have discussion later on, and talk about, that's what I would want the discussion to be. What is the next step for us? What do we need to do in growing the Christian curriculum? Um, what is the next step in us being more faithful as homeschoolers, not just sort of let, resting in our laurels, like, oh, well, we don't need public schools. What do we actually have to do? And that's the work for most of us right now as homeschoolers. We, we make changes all the time as, you know, we get 10 kids. And, you know, the first few are, are experiments. <laughs> the next two are we get a little bit better. The next two are so we're getting better. We're getting better and finding good Christian curriculum, things that we add. And the opportunities are amazing right now. This is, technology has made it so that there's opportunities that are abundant for us homeschoolers. I'm going to leave it there because I know you're all hungry and I'm, I don't want to drag you on. Yes, Jerry. I would like more clarification and detail on how we can counter this ridiculous argument that somehow when you present the truth about government yeah. schools that they, are cl- they claim you're binding their conscience. Well, I, I said to them, I had a, a meeting and, um, with, with some of my elders and pastor and that's the that's the common thing that people say. And there's a point where it's, a, it's just a re- ridiculous attack on the ability for us to communicate in anything. And I was in an R2K church, and any time you mentioned any any position, even things on easy things, like, should I tithe net or gross? You know, oh, that's, a, that's legalism. <laughs> it's just like, you can't even have any intellectual arguments in these cultures because they are fully within the pietistic model of what Christianity means completely abstract, completely separate from reality. And really, it's a, it's a symptom of that. And you see it in our own myths. myths. Now, if you can, you, we need to be able to make a strong case. The problem is, is they're trying to silence us before we yeah. make that case. It's just a simple rhetorical tactic. You can I think a 501c3 pastor cannot speak against a public school system from the public. Right. They're not allowed to. Right, right. So they want to shut that down right away. You know? Yeah. I, yeah, absolutely. I think they're less motivated by that because I don't. I think they're more motivated by um, the the rest of the congregation. So they see. Me. But the funny thing is, in the actual circumstances, I'm the one that's talking to everyone, and I, they all know what I think, and I'm happy to talk about it. I think I'm kind, maybe not always, but we do want to discuss these things. And you know, as I've said often to these pastors, it's us. You know, back to peons that are giving people the what their life should be like story because it's absent in the pulpit. The pulpit, what the pulpit is not preached in the pulpit, it will be discussed after the church is finished, and that's when we they they don't like the fact that we can discuss these things, and they're not very happy with the fact we can openly discuss them on Facebook and all the rest of it. So it's just a way to shut it down, and it's, it, they'll, they'll make their own assertions. And I don't make it back, that argument. I just don't think it's a, a reasonable point. Now, the Pharisees, there's a different story when it's ecclesiastical power that's being asserted against people for particular views. And then I think it's more serious about the, the lesser to the, you know, the higher up to the lower down of binding consciences of like seeing everyone. Like in Waco, there's a church where they regulate the type of jeans that you wear and what socks the women wear and all the rest of it. There's like crazy stuff that goes on. And wake up at the homestead heritage. So 
there's definitely le- you know legalism has to be addressed. And Martin addressed this really well on his Sunday show. I don't know what you call it. Q and A. Q and A. He's a good name. So Martin's Sunday show, uh, he addressed the issue of legalism and antinomianism. It's very important that we don't say, I believe one more law than you. I will not call you an antinomianism. You believe one less law than me, and you, you get to call me a legalist, and that's where I don't think it's legitimate to have these kind of discussions. It's, it's really not the substance of it. But then we can say that people are categorically antinomian or categorically uh, legalist in terms of what systems they're drawing from. And that's where the discussion is. But the problem is is that if we just want to call each other names, then it's not going to get us anywhere. We really have to get into the, the meat of the word, as Martin says, and what the, the discussion is. So, yeah, I mean, it's, to shut down the issue on education is a real, uh, real shame. It really is a shame on them. It's, as I said, it's very dangerous for their congregations. Uh, Warren, we probably should get... The Warren, my brother, comment. Uh, since I was a public school teacher for 39 years, uh, I researched this stuff a little bit, not Christian lawyers. Churches have complete ability to criticize the public school system and anything else. The only thing they don't have the right to do is verify what's in free. To advocate a particular candidate, and so the church is supporting that candidate. All right. They have the right to advocate for changes in laws, things like that, but they just don't have the right to advocate a candidate. But the reason that, that, that people, are, most Christians, don't know how to answer this is they don't. They don't study their Bible, as the brother said. If you look at Deuteronomy 5 and Ephesians 6, verse 4, we're commanded to teach our children every way and everywhere and every way we go. And uh, fathers or children raise up their children and nurture and admonition the Lord. How can you do that if you turn your child over to a public school system? That even at its best, even at its best, if there was a school, and I'm not sure there is, where they didn't think any anti-Christian thing, they do, do not the Ten Commandments or anything like that, and they tried to go by the Golden Rule, even if, at its best, it's bad because you're leaving God out and you're leaving the Christian worldview out. So when I taught, I would always teach from a Christian worldview. Uh, and I would acknowledge the Christian heritage of our country. And I got black now and then, but, you know, I stood up for public principles, had to file public grievances. But, you know, you can do it. But, but very few Christian teachers in public schools are willing to do that. They're willing to, they're not just willing to, to teach the truth because they want to hide and go, oh, I'm going to get in trouble if I say the name of Jesus or... If I took talk about the Ten Commandments, even though it's rooted there in the passage of English literature or in, in the particular place in history that you're studying, like the anti-slavery movement was filled with the Christian worldview and, and William Wilberforce and you know, Robert, uh, uh, Theodore Will and Charles Finney, all these people, they operated from Christian worldview. They helped work on slavery. And so did President Lincoln. He quoted the Bible in many cases about slavery. But people are just afraid to acknowledge that when you're, when you're neutral, at best, if, if you could be such a thing, yeah. you're violating God's word. He says... Teach my ways, yeah. teach my view, teach my instructions. And, and so that's why, as public public school teachers, we homeschool our children. And we advocated friends, homeschool yours if you can. If you can't, somehow, put them in a Christian school. Take them on public school. Because they're, and many kids, by the time they get to high school, they're being indoctrinated with a leftist worldview. Yes. There were teachers on my campus, not all of them, but some of them, and I knew who they were. They were indoctrinated kids with you know, anti Christian. You know, anti-morality, anti-Ten Commandments worldview, and some of the students who had them, they go, "Well, yeah, I know that you know Miss Watkins, she she does a lot of Christianity very much, but you know, they didn't realize how she was trying to yeah. propagandize them." Sad to say. Yeah, it's a, it's um, deeply serious. I mean, that now this level of that, I mean, it's like these people can't get men and women right. They can't decide the difference between a man and a woman. That's basic. Basic law, basic science, and it's, it's gone off the charts. But as we know, we look into all this, that the these things were there in the the 
teachers' unions and the uh, act, uh, educational academia. These things are festering there, and they're just ready to be launched. And, and the parents don't know what hit, how it happens. They just don't know what hit them because it's it's complete subterfuge. Back to Robert Owen, get the kids away from the parents and teach them homosexual marriage. Teach them um, anti-gun stuff. You know, we went to the anti-gun thing down in Waco. It's all teachers. All of the people that officiated there were all teachers. All right, guys. All right. Yeah, we got one thing online, a request for Colin to read the Westminster Confession of Faith because of your accent. <laughs> <laughs> Let's give it up for Colin Gunn, uh, National Humanistic Indoctrination Center. Thank you for listening to this episode of No Neutrality on the Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network. Don't forget to visit ReconstructionistRadio.com to download your favorite audiobooks and podcasts. And if you are a Christian Reconstructionist blogger and you'd like to contribute your blogs into this audio blog format, click on the volunteer link on our website, send us an email, and let us know you'd like to join the team. May Christ be glorified and His kingdom extended from sea to sea and from the rivers to the ends of the earth. The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network brings to you a complete lineup of podcasts where you will hear practical and tactical theology. Our desire is not simply that you consume our shows, but that you also live out your faith in every area of life. We can talk all day long about these things, but if we fail to put them into practice, then we fail as ambassadors of Jesus Christ our King. Subscribe now to your favorite Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network shows. Or you can subscribe to the Reconstructionist Radio Master Feed, where all of the content we produce, including the audiobooks and audio articles, will pop up as soon as they are available. And don't forget to visit ReconstructionistRadio.com to volunteer as a narrator or to partner with this ministry financially. May the Holy Spirit stir you into action for Christ and His kingdom.